Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 123. Listen now to the word from God. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. The word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, the sixth chapter. Jesus and the disciples have had a long season out in the region of Capernaum, traveling around the Sea of Galilee, teaching and preaching and healing. And here at the beginning of chapter 6, they turn home, home at least for Jesus. Friends, let us listen once more for a word from God. Mark writes, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters even here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions to them. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The High Wire Home. Will you join me in prayer? Oh God, wherever it is we feel we are walking a tightrope this day, we pray that you would steady us. We pray that you would send your spirit, that it would wrap its arm around us and guide us safely from this ancient word that we might hear a fresh word for the living of these uncertain times. 
Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your presence would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I went home for the first time last month in what I think we decided was about four years. It's funny, I'm now approaching this point in my life where I have lived in the southeast nearly as long as I spent growing up in the Midwest, and yet my concept of home is still rather unchanged. If you ask me where I live, of course, I'll tell you St. Simon's Island, but if you ask me where I'm from, I'll always tell you Dayton, Ohio. And so I did what we do when we go back somewhere that we haven't been in a long time. I ate. (laughs) I must have put on 15 pounds in four days. Between Grater's ice cream and Marion's pizza and Skyline chili and Bill's donuts. Oh, Bill's donuts. (laughs) But it's interesting because I found myself being really surprised, surprised how there was this piece of home that felt so different on this visit. I grew up in the suburbs, but my parents now live downtown, which isn't all that unusual for our family. We spent almost as much time downtown as we did at home in those years. Our church was downtown, my dad's office was downtown, a lot of our activities were downtown, and having spent so much time throughout that period of my life downtown, I can tell you that there are two truths that you could always live and die by when you're talking about downtown Dayton. The first is that after 5 p.m. on a weekday, that place is dead. There ain't nothing happening in downtown Dayton. And the second is tied to it, which is that practically no one, a few people, okay, but practically no one lived downtown. So you can imagine my surprise then when we rolled into town a few weeks back, and the first thing you see are these apartments, these condos, these lofts being built everywhere. There are people walking their dogs everywhere, walking their dogs. No one walked their dog in downtown Dayton in the years I lived there. There are restaurants and breweries. There are those little scooters that litter the sidewalks and you almost trip over. You can rent, you know the kind. Right? It's exciting for Dayton. It's great. But still, still I couldn't help but feel like home, home suddenly was a little different, even a tad bit unrecognizable. You know, the gospel writer of Mark is a little skimpy on the details with regards to how long it's been since Jesus last visited his hometown, but given the fact that Nazareth is mentioned last before chapter 6 and chapter 1, that's where Jesus leaves from to go be baptized in the Jordan. And until then, until now rather, in chapter 6, Jesus has been out in the countryside doing his ministry. I think it's fair for us to assume that it's at least been several months, if not over a year, since Jesus was last home. 
So I found myself wondering as I read this passage whether or not Jesus experienced some of those same things I did when I went home. I wonder if he didn't go and visit his favorite hummus stand in town. (laughs) If he didn't go and sit on the bench in the park that he grew up playing in. Right? I wonder if Jesus didn't do that slow roll-by of his childhood home and quietly critique what the new owners have done with the shutters and landscaping. Right? I wonder if Jesus, at the outset of this story, didn't feel that, that little thrill that we all feel whenever we're back somewhere for the first time in a long time. I wonder even if Jesus didn't think to himself, you know, maybe I'll stay. I've been out there in Galilee and Capernaum. I've spent my time out in the field. Maybe, maybe I'll just stay. This is home after all. I could hang up a shingle, do my ministry from here, day trips down to the Sea of Galilee. If they need me in Jerusalem, I could do an overnight, but I could come back every time. I wonder if Jesus had some of these these thoughts when, when the ball gets rolling on this first visit back to his hometown of Nazareth. If he did, though, it surely didn't last long. Because Jesus does what? He goes to church, and it all begins to unravel. The setting's important here, I think. Jesus goes to the synagogue. In other words, he goes to the very place that is full of people who should know him best. He's looking out on faces of people who taught him in Sunday school growing up. He's looking out on the faces of his parents' friends, the ones who came to his bar mitzvah. Right? He's looking out on faces of people who know him. They know his family. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's kid? I mean, aren't his sisters here somewhere and his brothers? These are people who know his past. Wasn't he a carpenter the last time I checked? These are the people who should know him best. And when they hear him preach, they are amazed, Mark says. But not in a good way. They take offense to Jesus. They take offense to him. If you read Luke's telling of this story, they are apparently so offended by him that they are ready to kill him. They drive him out to the outskirts of town and try and throw him off a cliff. We can almost imagine Jesus' facial expressions changing as this story goes on from one of excitement at the outset to be amongst his people to by the end being an expression of utter and total dismay. Right? Surely Jesus, Jesus must have looked out and suddenly realized that everything was different. That everything, the world, was unrecognizable, right? Suddenly, Jesus in this story must have realized that home was just not what it used to be, nor was it ever likely to be home again. Where do we go when we can't go back to the way things were? Right, where do we go when the kids are gone? When the youngest is there in the rearview mirror as we pull away from the dorm, where the last one finally gets a place of their own, 
Where do we go when the, the job is over? The moving truck is pulling out of the driveway or the banners have all come down and been packed neatly in that box for you to take home. Where do we go when we can't go back to the way things were before? When the divorce is final, when the decision is made. Where do we go when life, life is suddenly different, unrecognizable? Where do we go when there's no going back to wherever and whatever home was before? You know, in so many ways, I feel like that is the question that we are collectively living at this moment in history. Right? There is no going back to the world as it was pre-COVID. Sure, certain aspects, but many things won't come back. It's true of the church. I was talking with a pastor friend this week who was saying before COVID there were 50 churches in our region and we're down to 40. They just couldn't survive. Right? Where do we go with the earth post-climate change? There's no going back. It was Death Valley in Vancouver last week. Even on Independence Day, I feel like this July 4th especially, we're, we're all so keenly aware that there's, there's no going back to America pre-summer 2020 or pre-January 6, 2021. Not all of it's bad necessarily. Some of those events in our past have made us who and what we are today. Some of those events have churned up questions and issues that are long overdue and being addressed, but still it makes me wonder, where do we go from here? You know, I think today's passage, I think this story of Jesus going home, I think it's his lived answer to that question. Because Jesus and his disciples, after experiencing this rejection, they do what? They move forward. After being rejected in the place where he should have been most accepted, Jesus heads out into the unknown solely on trust. The trust that God will provide. I always tell people, whenever you come across very specific details in the Bible, you should pay attention. I thought that packing list Jesus gives his disciples is rather curious in this passage, right? Right? He sends them out two by two and he tells them, don't bother packing luggage, don't take food, don't take money, wear your sandals, but don't bother with an extra shirt. It's Jesus' way of saying, you move forward on trust. Trust that God will provide and that God will lead the way. Right, this is a story where Jesus and those disciples, they move forward trusting that their true home, our true home, is not one found in the past, but rather one found in God's future. Where do we go when we can't go back? Jesus' answer is pretty simple. You go forward. There's a story about this 
high-wire walker named Boldini. He strung a line across the Niagara Falls once, and a, a crowd gathered to cheer him on. He went across and then back, and the crowd roared their approval, and he yelled out to them, Do you believe? And everyone yelled back, We believe! Boldini grabbed a 50-pound bag and he threw it on his shoulder and he went across again. And when he came back, the crowd cheered with their approval. Do you believe? We believe. And so he got a wheelbarrow and he threw two 50-pound bags in it and he went back across that line clear over the Niagara Falls. And he came back and heard the adulation once more. Do you believe? We believe. Taking the two bags out of the wheelbarrow, he turned to the crowd and said, Fantastic. Now who will be the first to climb in? <laughs> when we can't get back to where we've come from, when everything around us is different, unrecognizable, when life's safety net has been removed from beneath us and the high wire of the unknown is all that is left, Jesus invites us to step forward in faith. So, who wants to be first? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.